Well, we're going to get in the Word of God. I mean, I want to share a vision with you guys because I think sometimes it's good for you to hear what has transpired over time. Back when we were in the shopping center, um, I, I don't know everyone that was in the prayer meeting that day. I know Betty May was there. I think Jill Jansgenski, Lisa, uh, Paula was there. But there was a there was a morning that we were praying, and, and at that time we would sit around, we would sit on the floor and just sit down and pray. And the Lord, I had been praying over the city, over the city of Apopka, asking God to give us the city. At that time, there was a church, y'all remember, right next door. And um, in the prayer meeting, we were just praying in the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God came and caught me up over Apopka, and I was standing right where Tijuana Flats is now. There was no one in the shopping center but us. We were the only ones there. Cars were going under my feet, and I was standing right over 441, and Jesus was standing beside me. And he said, I have given you the city. Now, I want you to think about it. That's a powerful word. And I, I, and I, I glanced at the church next door, and I said, what about all the other churches, you know, come? And he said, were well, you going to do this alone? I said, no, sir. And I started realizing that anytime you take a city, it's corporate. It's not just word of life. It's a lot of churches working together. So after that, I started working with all the other churches in the city, became the president of the alliance, um, have since turned that position over to someone else. But, um, but at the same time... Um, we, you know, the Lord is, has impressed upon me. He still wants to, he still wants kids, the, the kids in this city to come to Jesus. He wants the youth to come to Jesus. He wants a very strong move of God. And I think that, and, and God given Lisa the idea of having a school, which is in its, you know, infancy right now. Uh, and we'll probably start very small. But, but, but kids don't need to go into an atmosphere where, they're, where what the world is teaching them is being crammed down their throat. They've got to study the LGBTs. They, the stuff that's going on is just horrendous. Well, God wants the kids and he wants... So I want you all to hook your faith with me. Um, I'm not afraid of what... I'm not, I'm not bothered by how much money something costs. If the Lord said do it, then he'll provide everything that we need. But I do need agreement on it. I, I, do, I do need you to start seeing it. Yes. Talk it. One of the reasons I put the, the building out there again was I want you to start talking about where we're going. There is going to come a day when, when the max we can have in this church because of parking will be 500 people per service. That's the most we'll ever be able to cram in, in, a, in a church. We'll give the kids building, then the, the rest will become parking lot. And after you do two or three services, which are running a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred people, there's always a chance you're going to have to move the campus somewhere else, the main church somewhere else. Well, I've already told Justin that's his job. I'm not, I'm, you know, by, by that time I'm, I'm giving it all to JP and he, I'm, you know, you, take it, baby. It's all yours. So, and he's ready for it. He's ready to go. So, there's still a lot of things, but I need you to, I need you to believe with me. I need you to hook with me. So I'm going to make another statement to you. I wouldn't plan on going this way, but if the Holy Ghost says go, we'll go. This church pioneered what we call the faith message. 
Do you know that when we started, there was only one other faith and word churches in all of Central Florida? There wasn't. There was no such a thing when I graduated from Rama as a faith and word church. Did y'all know that? Didn't exist. We created it. Well, y'all are exciting. Because, and so we set the pattern, and people have come and gone. And, um, and so now this church has a lot of notoriety in the city. Um, we know the mayor on a first-name basis um, and his wife, Debbie, and, and we know the, the county commissioners and the city commissioners and, 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 um, and the chief of police. And, and so all of those things are, are setting us up for growth. But there's a lot of things we need to do. And so, so if I get you to get in agreement with me, one of the things you have to do is see it. And I want you to see it. When you drive up, I want you to thank God for that property next door. Thank God for the finances. Thank God. They don't know they want to sell it. I haven't even told them. I don't even know if I want to tell them. I might buy it through a third party because I don't want to go, ah, $100 million, you know, for the church. No. You know, but, but, uh, but again, if the Lord lays it on our heart, but can I get you to do that with me? Just get in agreement with me for growth. And there's a lot of things I want to do. And having said that, there's other things I want to say, but let's stop. All right, get your Bibles out and go to Romans chapter 4. Amen. Now, now, we've been talking about, I don't want to keep calling it boring. I don't want to say that the subject is boring anymore. But in a natural, talking about the word doctrine How exciting doctrine. Well, Jesus said we'd know the truth and truth set us free, didn't he? One of the things, and one of the things that inspired me, and as I started on this course, I picked up Rick Renner's book, and he made a statement that the average church member today has no idea what their church believes and, 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 and can't prove what they believe with the Bible. And I got to thinking, well, bless God, I'm on the right track. And I want y'all to. I want you to know what you believe. I want you to, uh, don't believe it because I believe it. Don't believe it because Kenneth Hagin believes it. Don't believe it because your favorite preacher preaches. Believe it because you know where it is in the Bible and you studied it yourself. Amen. Amen. Anyway, so uh, Romans chapter um, 4, and we're talking about what we in this church Believe Now, one of the things that I'm going to do, it's going to take me a little bit of time to go through these things, but um, uh, last, last week we went over a lot of how we got to where we are in the charismatic movement, how different men and women of God have come along and um, taught us the things that we know today, and, uh, and they've proved to be, they, they, and they work, the word works. And it was Kenneth Hagin that brought us back to the Word of God base everything you do on the Word. And having said that, but the charismatic movement is actually a conglomeration of churches. Mm-hmm. It was like the water, like, it, like the latter rain began to fall and the ponds all came up and all the different ducks started swimming together. So right here in this room, we've got Catholics, Baptists, Episcopalians, Lutheran, Methodists. Baptist and heathens. You know, we got all kind of people sitting in the room. And so because of that, you know, we come to church, we hear, we hear preaching, um, but, but sometimes I wonder, do you actually know we actually have things we believe? 
Because people have walked out of here and says, what does your church believe? And I think some of y'all are kind of embarrassed. Well, we believe the Bible. Well, we believe in Jesus. Well, Satan believes in Jesus. So I tell people all the time, my doctrine is this, simple. God is good, the devil's bad. Pretty simple. But, but we need to go a little past simple, amen? So one of the things that began to happen was back, and, 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 I, and I'm not, I don't mean to just bring up Kenneth Hagin all the time, but he kind of was a key that God used. Not only him, but, but many, many men and women of God, he began to turn. And I want you to understand something. Just because these men came on the scene does not mean that everything they preached was new. There's a lot of this stuff. For instance, if you go back and study the Methodist church, you'll find confession preached in the Methodist church in the 1800s. People confessing the word. It's not, a, it's not new. It's new to you and I, but it's not new. These things that we call doctrines, they've been around for 2,000 years. But the church picks them up, then the church gets off, and God brings them back. And so, uh, and they don't always pick all of them up. They don't, they don't always, you know, but I think today the church is, is better grounded than it's ever, ever been doctrinally as far as truth where you can get it. But that also creates a problem. There's also more goofy than there ever has been. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So one of the things that happened when Kenneth Hagin picked this back up back in the 50s, the Lord began to direct him back to certain, um, you know, doctrines. One of the things is he was a Southern Baptist boy, Southern Baptist preacher, and uh, he got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues. Then after that, he joined the Assemblies of God, and the Lord pulled him out of denominational churches and told him to start going places among all denominations. That's the thing that started making the difference because back then, that, that, that wasn't done. You didn't do that. He says, I want you to go to neutral locations. Well, that was back when Dennis Bennett started preaching on the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. That's an Episcopalian priest, and he helps kick off the charismatic renewal. People like Benny Hinn writing books, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And so the church began to find out a lot about the Holy Ghost and the move of God. And so doctrines, so these men started preaching the word. And, and, and I know for a fact, Kenneth Hagin was one of the very first ones to start preaching on things like, number one, faith. Faith, faith in God. Yeah, we're not waiting on everything from God. Your, your faith will work. You can use your faith. Because, the, because then, if, do you remember? Well, y'all don't, you know, Melanie doesn't remember. She knows old enough. Neither is Tanya. But there was a time that if someone wanted the Holy Ghost, they came up in the front and they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And they jumped and screamed and hollered and, and shouted and finally said, and they said, you got it, you know. And some people got it in a week and some people didn't get it for 10 years. So Brother Hagin came along and started teaching people that you can receive by faith. And they started learning. Well, then he started preaching on righteousness. Now, I remembered... When I first came here, it was in the early 80s, Kenneth, Kenneth Copeland was on radio then, WTLN, remember that? Um, it was not Z88, but anyway. Um, he was preaching on righteousness, and the church bucked the message more than anything else being preached in the church was righteousness. Now, you and I would read the Bible and just really? Because we're so rooted in it. 
but the church was not rooted in it. And we're going to talk about why they were not, and we're going to talk about what it is and why you need to believe this. Now, let me make a statement to you. This might be one of the most important subjects you'll ever study in your entire life. When I, I, um, Kevin and Leslie McNulty uh, were Dr. Osborne's crusade directors for oh, over 10 years, I think maybe 17. Now, that's a long time. And T.L. Osborne, if you know him, was a missionary statement, statesman. He's actually won more people to Jesus than probably the whole body of Christ combined. That's quite a statement. When you think about the fact that he's been holding crusades of 50 to 100,000 people, since 1950. That's, that's, that's massive. So, so TL said on TBN that what changed him from just being a Pentecostal preacher was a book by E.W. Kenyon. Now, that's, now, back then, you understand Kenyon was kind of, he was, he, that's wildfire. And, and while he was preaching was who you are in Christ. But now think about this, because the body of Christ had no knowledge of uh, spirit, soul, and body. They had no knowledge of in Christ realities. They had no knowledge of righteousness. And basically, they had the mentality that I'm an old sinner saved by grace, or I'm a forgiven sinner. And, and they didn't live in any kind of victory. They didn't believe in prosperity. And they just kind of threw themselves on the altar of God and, and, and prayed and, and just hoped something would happen. And things would happen. And sometimes they didn't. And nobody really understood how to get the Word of God to work. Now, you know, I want you to imagine how far the body of Christ has come since the 50s. It's massive. The things we know now, the things we can pick up and read now. It's crazy good. Amen. So Kenyon, I said all that to say this. When T.L. Osborne, think about this. This man is probably one of the greatest generals that ever walked the earth. The last month of his life was reading this book. What does that say about this book? He's still, he's still reading righteousness. He's still meditating on this. How do you, where do you think you stand on, do you need, do you think you need to read this book? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we do. Um, Kenyon is not easy to read because when he came up, he, he, he exactly the opposite of Hagen. He did not believe in telling stories. He, his, his, his books are, are concentrated word. You read a page and you're like, oh, take a breather. It's, 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 like, it's like licking orange juice in a can. It's just never been put with water. It's wild. And it takes a while before you can read him. Because, but, but, but I'll tell you, you're talking about getting free. Uh, it'll set you free. So the subject of righteousness, and I had the joy of preaching on righteousness in the university. And when I did, and I, and I got to tell you, when, when you're in a university and you're preaching to all denominations, you can tell who's in the crowd. Because there were people out there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's people back there scowling at me, you know, with their arms crossed. Because of their teaching, what they don't know. And so the first time you're telling something or preaching on something, you know, um, you can be right in your heart and totally wrong in your head. 
And so the doctrine of righteousness in some churches is like, well, there is none righteous. There is, oh, there ain't nobody right. Oh, there, oh, there ain't nobody righteous. No, not one. We're just an old sinner. Well, I'm going to read here in a moment, but if Jesus made an unrighteous new creation, he wasted his time. He already had an unrighteous creation. Why would he make another one? Thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. So I'm going to say this, and I'm going to prove it to you in a minute. The subject of healing, you probably are, are hindered more from your prayers being answered by a lack of understanding on righteousness than you do healing. This subject's probably the reason that people are stumped on who you are and what Jesus did at the cross. So it's that, and I'm going to spend an hour on it, I think. So Romans 4, 25, go over there, and I'm going to read something to you. And um, I'm going to treat you tonight like you're mature and intelligent. I'm going to, we're, we're, going to, we're, going to go, we're going to go pretty deep. Are you all ready? I mean, we're going to go deep. We're going to dive off in the deep end, and we're going to put on tanks, and we're going down. Romans 4, 25, who, that would be Jesus, was delivered up because of our offenses. That means he went to the cross because of sin and was raised because of our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified, and the word justified, and I'm going I'm to interchange the words from this time on because they're the same root Greek word. Now, one, one is like saying male, and the other one's like saying man. The same thing, the same word. But because there's a little ending different, one is justification, the other one is righteous. Because I've heard people say, well, I'm justified, but I'm not righteous. That's okay, you're a male, but you're not a man. Okay, I get it. Because of wrong teaching. So I'm going to use the word righteousness in the place of justification because they're basically the same word. All right. So from now on, you'll hear that. Therefore, having been made righteous by your faith, and when I mention the word faith, I'm going to change that a little bit. I'm going to do an amplification of that word. Because faith is not just faith in God. Satan believes in God. Faith in God. What's faith in God? I have faith in Jesus. I believe he walked the earth. He's, you know, okay, hold on. The word faith, when you're reading it, is, is literally faith in the finished work of Jesus. That's what that word is entailing. When you're saying faith, it's faith in what Jesus did. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it helps to add the words like the Amplified Bible did. So before you leave here tonight and someone says, well, he just added to the Bible, which is sin, he's going to hell. I'm not, but I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. You can't take a Greek word and replace it with one English word all the time. It's not, it's not possible to do it. That's why sometimes we have a problem. So when the Amplified Bible, which is the woman's Bible because it has more words in it. The Amplified Bible came along and gave you a better understanding of what that Greek word is trying to say. Because there is no English counterpart for it. Do y'all see that? Do y'all see that? Okay. So when I, when I use these, when I add to it, so I'm going to read it that way. 
Therefore, having been made righteous by faith in what Jesus did, we now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Now, I'm going to use a word here, and, and, I, and I'm, it's a brand new word for some of y'all, but others of you will understand it. Do y'all know what a fulcrum is? Anybody know what a fulcrum is? Okay. When in an airplane, an airplane revolves around three axes. It does this up and down, and it does this wing to wing, and it does this side to side. There is a spot in the airplane that doesn't move. The closer you are to it, the less you're going to get airsick. All right, for the ones of you who don't understand airplanes, let's go to a seesaw. That dates us really bad because some of y'all never seen a seesaw either. But y'all remember when we were kids, we'd go out on the playground before they started worrying about our health. I used to dive out of swings. Y'all remember that? And woo! And fly through the air. And we didn't wear helmets when we rode bicycles either, so... But, but, but if you had a really hefty boy on one end, the less hefty girl had to get way out to lift him. So the point in the middle that balanced out the hefty boy and the light girl it, that doesn't move, the seesaw rotates around it, is called a fulcrum. That's something, now listen very carefully, it does not move. All right, now listen to what I'm going to say. Time has a fulcrum. The day Jesus was born again in hell and raised from the dead, time hit a fulcrum. That meant that everything prior to that was old covenant. People were not sons of God. They were servants of God. There was a blood covenant that covered sin but did not redeem a man. He was forgiven but not redeemed. And so whenever he rose from the dead, this scripture right here is the fulcrum of history, the fulcrum of Christianity, and the fulcrum of time. Everything after Jesus rising from the dead, that everything changes to new creation. Man is redeemed back to God by the blood of Jesus. And the way to God is no longer by law, but by faith. And then everything from that point, bang, changed. Do y'all see that? Now, because of that, because time changed, the good news changed, the blood covenant. Jesus says the new covenant, so that's a fulcrum. And that point, so, so as I say what I'm about to say right now, just listen carefully. It is more scriptural for you to have a tombstone on your neck than a cross. Because it was not the cross that saved you. It was the resurrection that saved you. Had Jesus died on the cross and not risen from the dead, you would be lost. So I'm going to read it to you the way it reads. Now listen to what it says right here. It says, who was delivered up because of your sin, but raised when God made you righteous. Now think about this. Out of all of the power that's ever been displayed from Genesis till now, the greatest display of the power of God was the resurrection. Not because God was raising Jesus from the dead, but he was raising every man that ever lived on the earth and ever will live from the dead in one moment of time. 
That's powerful. Now, listen to me. The church does not know anything I just said. You hard-pressed to walk into church and get anybody to even understand what I just said. Because they still believe they ain't nobody even righteous. So what good is the cross? That is why they're still fighting their battles from defeat. Oh, now I'm going to say something. Don't throw anything at me. I have preached faith in Rhema churches where they got mad at me. If you're fighting, if how many of you are believing God for your salvation? Are you saved? That's called faith. Are you saved? Why are you saved? By the blood? Okay. How many of you are believing God for the baptism? Okay, how many of y'all are believing for healing? 95% of the people in the, in the body of Christ are believing for healing. And they're not in faith at all. All right, I'm going to say something to you right now. Don't, again, don't throw anything at me. Just don't, just, don't, just don't throw anything at me. Now, because I want you to mature. I don't want you to get into bondage over what I'm going to say. There are times when I go to people and say, I need prayer. I'm, I'm just not at the place. And why in the Sam Hill would you want to get someone else to do your praying for you if you believed you're righteous? I mean, for, for us, to, us to act the way we do, you, you have God befuddled. He's scratching his head going. That's crazy. Now, I get kicked out of churches for, for this. But this one's mine. <laughs> How many of y'all are going, whoa. Okay. I'm not saying that to bring any kind of condemnation. Because I'm going to show you in a minute that if that's not real to you, it's because in the book of Isaiah, he makes a statement that we, would, we need to become established in righteousness. You're not established because you heard someone preach on it. You're not established until you've spent some time meditating on it and making right choices. It, you've got to grow in righteousness. You've got in the knowledge of it. You don't grow in righteousness. You're as righteous as you're ever going to be. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something. Don't, don't throw anything at me. You're as righteous as God. Amen. If you're not, you're not saved. Because he gave you his. See, okay. Woo. Now, y'all can imagine me preaching in a Bible school with a bunch of Baptists right now. And I've done it. And I've had them sit there and just smoke coming out of their ears. All right. Father, help me with this because I got to go backwards now. All right. Go to Romans 4. Whoo, let's go to 13 and start. Now, here's the thing that is, is kind of befuddling. 
the whole book of Romans is about righteousness. That's what the book of Romans is about. But it is about righteousness by faith in Jesus versus righteousness by law. It does not teach you that you're not righteous. It teaches you that a sinner is not righteous. So, so what, now I, I'm, I'm going to sound like I am high and mighty, but I'm not, but I'm, I'm not trying to be. What are we going to do with a guy who's been to seminary, Bible school, and he's out preaching and he has no idea what the book of Romans is about? That, that, that's like an accountant who can't add. It, it's It's stupid. Never mind. I know, I know the all. I'm trying not to get in trouble, and I'm trying to appear humble, and it's very difficult. <laughs> Never mind. Y'all didn't get it. Okay, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. The promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression of it. Therefore, it is of faith in the finished work of Jesus that it might be according to grace, God's unmerited favor, so the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. Now, why, why did God call him the father of nations? And I'm going to do something right here, but I don't have time to prove it. So I'm just going to say it, and you, and you go look it up, okay? Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. When did Abraham see Jesus? When he cut covenant. Abraham asked God, how do I know you're going to do what you just said? And he said, you go get the turtle doves and all that. Now, now I'm going to say something. And again, don't throw tomatoes or nothing at me. God did not get, uh, uh, impute righteousness to Abraham because he was, believed he was going to have a little boy. He, he imputed righteousness because he believed in Jesus. Amen. And when he cut covenant that day, God showed him Jesus. The only way we know that is Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. So we know he saw his day. So, so later when Abraham got up on the mountain, he says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. He already understood Calvary. His faith was in Calvary just like yours. Now, the fact that he was going to have a seed meant that not the seed his son but his seed, Jesus. So, G so Abraham's faith was in Jesus. And God accounted that as righteousness. Now, Paul, the former Pharisee, keeping the law in order to be righteous, met Jesus and spent his whole life preaching righteousness by faith in the blood. That is what all of his letters are about. Okay, it's getting, is, is this okay? Or y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, zzz, 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 zzz. okay, this is such an awesome, awesome uh, truth. It's just good. Okay, verse 17, as it is written, I made you the father of nations 
in the presence of him who he believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist as though they did, who contrary to hope and hope believed that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And being not weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was around 100 years old, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he promised Jesus, he was able to perform. It was therefore accounted to him for righteousness. He didn't keep the law. Where was Moses? Where's Moses? Okay, okay. How long until Moses comes? So there's no way in the world Moses had anything to do with this. Hadn't even been born yet. Now, now when, when we went to Israel, and the ones of you go with us, you're going to find something very startling. They are keeping the law to the letter in order to be saved. And they're going to hell. Wow. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm saying this because of this. How many times have you and I started to pray and to believe God, and we were convinced God would not answer because we weren't living right? Where's your faith? Did you do that when you got saved? Say no. Why are you doing it now? <laughs> come on, this. Come on, this. This. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Now, we're going to get there in a minute. Now, you understand why the body of Christ is so weak. It's not because we don't believe in healing. It's because we don't understand righteousness. Woo! Okay, okay, okay. So God did all this under the old covenant, and he, he imputed righteousness. He never became righteous. It was put on account because he saw it future. We were not, we don't have righteousness accounted to us. We are righteous. Oh, that'll make a Baptist shout. They saw our day and went and wanted so much to be. We are the ones that are able to. We don't have the Holy Ghost on us. We got him inside of us. Okay, okay, I'm getting excited. but Okay, okay, let's go. This is so good. Um, and therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was not written for his sake alone, but also imputed to him. For also for us, it will be imputed who believe in him who raised up our Lord from the dead. Now back to 25, who was delivered because of offenses. Now get rid of that word. Don't, don't let it throw you. It's just he, he went to the cross because of sin, but he was raised from the dead. God declared Jesus righteous when the payment was made. Now, did he make the payment for just Christians or everybody? So no one goes to hell for sinning. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 will tell you that because it's not imputed. That's why right now it appears as though God doesn't think much of sin. The world's going to find out real quick that when the time clock stops, they're going to find out that they waited too late and they're going to meet a different God. Well, the same God. There's a grace period. Okay. Uh, verse 9, 5, fun. Much more having been now made righteous by blood, 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. There's no wrath on you. Now, let me say it to you another way. I didn't say there's no judgment on you, but I did say there's no condemnation on you. There's no wrath on you. That doesn't mean that God will not pull you off the side and go, you know what, you need a spanking. Now, he loves you and I like, you do, like, like we do our kids, but he's not throwing you out of the house and condemning you to hell. But he's also, he's also growing you up. Okay, never mind. There's no more wrath because Jesus took it all. Now, chapter, verse 12 goes in now to this big litany of two, two atoms and two races of humanity in the earth. And he goes in to explain all this, verse 17. For by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned through the one. Death, not just physical death. Don't read death. When you're reading death in the Bible, get out of your mind physical. Because, because it carnal... Carnal Christians, everything is physical. Yes. Jesus died on the cross physically. He went down into hell. He didn't go to hell. We don't, they don't know where he went. Yeah. And then he came back and rose physically so you could be forgiven. That's all they know. Mm-hmm. True. Period. And they go to church and go, oh, he died on the cross for me and rose from the dead and I'm forgiven. And someday I'm going to heaven. Uh, and then there's others of us that are going, I think I would like a lot more of my prayers answered this side of heaven. And I want to know something about getting a throne room because I would like to go in there and talk to God about some stuff. And I don't want to wait till I die. And I want to get some, okay, mind. Okay. And then that's called the charismatic renewal. One man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's righteous, now, righteousness is not holiness. Righteousness is what happened to your spirit when you became a new creation. It's not holiness. Not, it's not physical. There's still a working out of your, of your physical man to become more like Jesus. Now, God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That means that every day of your life, no matter what you think, a lot of the stuff you're going through right now, you think God don't love you anymore. But he has taken you and your sweet little self and going, I want to park you right over here for a little while. And I want you to enjoy all of this because I'm doing something in you. And I see things in you. I don't like them. But I think if you sit here in this job you hate and these people you hate and all this stuff you hate, I think we can work a lot of love in you. The love of God is shut up on your heart. So I'm going to just leave you there like a big crybaby until you learn to grow up. And y'all are going, hey, Jesus, I don't want this job anymore. I don't want this job anymore. (laughs) The greatest work that God's ever done in this church is me. I thought I was here for y'all. And all these years, he's like, I've been working on you. And I said, I know you've been doing something. You know, everything hadn't gone my way. I just never understood them. Has it gone yours? Oh, no. No, 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 no. God's a good parent. Amen. But he still loves you. He didn't forget about you. But he is not, he's not pulling you out of all that trouble until you find out the trouble is in the mirror. It's that guy in the mirror that's given me the most trouble. All right, let's go to verse 18. 
Therefore, through one man, Adam's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. We talked about that last week, what condemnation is. Even so, through one man's righteous act, Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. You understand Jesus paid the debt of everybody. When, he was, when, when Jesus was in the garden, the nails was not what he was bothered with. God's wrath and taking the payment of every man. Can you even fathom it? And how would you like to trust God to take you to hell and get you out? Talk about a love that we have never fathomed. And he did that so that I could be. See, God has a problem. He's just and he hates sin, but he loves us. And he can't handle your sin and he won't handle it. And it'll be paid for, but Jesus says, I'll do it. And he went and took care of it. There are those of us who have said thank you and others who have not. Amen. All right. Now, okay, okay. We got a lot we could do there. Let's go to Matthew 21 now. So I'm going to show you something here. When you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from now on when you're reading it, I want you to be aware that Jesus is talking to Jews who believe they're righteous by law. And what happens is you start picking up on the parables and the stories, and and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, now that begins to make sense. The, the, so, so let me ask you this. When he came, did he, ex, did he extend righteousness to people? He did. How did he treat everybody? He healed them and they were unworthy. But which ones didn't get it? The ones that didn't receive him. Do you all see that? So the sinners, which everyone had sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. The sinners were getting healed, and the religious folks were not. Same thing true today. But before we go there, go back to Romans 4. I want you all to do something here. I, want, I, I didn't finish something, and I just got prompted by the Spirit of God to go back. Don't leave you hanging. Go to chapter 3, verse 9. What can we say then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Everybody on the earth. Now he's talking here about the world without Jesus. That's what he's talking about. You've got to identify who he's talking about. So there is none righteous, no, not one. Who's he talking about? A sinner. He's talking about pre-Jesus. Before Jesus, nobody is righteous. By keeping the law. Not Mary. Not Moses. Not David. Think about it. Mary, the mother of God, would have gone to hell. Oh, that'll mess up a Catholic. That'll just mess a Catholic up. So he's not talking to you. Is he? 
So he's making a point here. So there is nobody that understands. Now I want to ask, is this you? There is none that seeks God. Is that you? You have all turned aside. Is that you? And all together become unprofitable. There's none that does good, not one. Your throat is an open tomb. Your tongue practices deceit. The poison of asp is under your lips. I mean, is this talking about you? No, it's not talking about you at all. All right. All right, now let's go all the way up to verse 17. In the way of peace, they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now look at verse 19. So now we know that whatever the law says, it is talking to those that are under the law so every mouth can be stopped. That's all he's bringing up. How do you say you're righteous by law when none of you have ever kept it and you're a heathen by nature? So Paul is making a point here, there's none righteous. Now, where did this come from? Now, now let's go into back into church history for a little bit, and then we'll get back over to Matthew. I want you to think about being a Baptist preacher in the 50s. There was a time in America that the school books had righteousness in the school books. People, we went to school, I pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States, and we prayed every morning and started the day. I mean, people went to church every Sunday. But the problem was there's people in church that weren't saved. Matter of fact, most of the people in church weren't saved. So the preachers came along, and they said, because Martin Luther, and remember Martin Luther back a long time ago. Y'all remember that. Melanie does. She was born. When Martin Luther, Martin Luther did not give altar calls. Martin Luther, they didn't know anything about altar calls. They said, when a person gets justified or made righteous, you'll see a change in their life. There was no altar calls. You just see somebody getting right with God, and they change. They go, hey, that guy must have gotten saved. So now we got the 50s where everybody's good, but they're not saved. So Martin Luther's um, doctrine didn't work when people were rooted and grounded in the Word of God from elementary school up. So the church started preaching, there's none righteous, no, not one. And to the crowd, that was the right message. Because they're talking to a church full of sinners. Does that make sense? Now, I hope maybe you've progressed a little bit since 1950. Does that, do you understand where that came from? And yet, at the time for a preacher to get up and say, if you think that because you're a good person, you're going to heaven, you're not, and we're going to give an altar call, and we're going to sing just as I am, and you're going to bow your head, and I expect you to cry a little bit, but you need to come up here and give your heart to Jesus. Because if you don't give saved, you're going to hell. I don't care if you are the best person in town. Now think about that. I remember I went in and locked our doors when I was a kid. And everybody was good. Nobody in Halloween put razor blades in nothing. I mean, if it went out in the treats, trick-or-treating, stealing candy and all that, and everybody, it was safe. You better not do it now. You crazy if you do. But the church is exactly the opposite. We've got churches full of people who are righteous live like hell. <laughs> Talk about the Bible being All right, now go to Matthew 21. I'm doing pretty good for a young man. So Jesus is talking to the Jews. In verse 33, he says, another parable. There was a certain landowner who had a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press and built a tower and he leased it to the vineyards and he went to a far country and the vintage time, and vintage time drew near. He sent service to the vineyard that they might receive the fruit. And the vine dressers took the servants, beat them, killed them, stoned them, sent another one of the servants more than the first and they did likewise. And the last he sent his son and said, they will respect my son. Now he's talking to the Jews about himself, isn't he? Yeah. And when the vine dressers saw the son, they said, we'll kill him. 
and we'll take the inheritance. And they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes. What's he going to do to those vine dressers? Now, he's talking to the Jewish people during their day. And they said, well, he's going to destroy those wicked men miserably and lease the vineyard to another vine dresser who will render him the fruits in their season. And Jesus said, you have read, have you ever read in the scripture, the, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? And that was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Look at verse 43. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you Jewish people and given to a nation that bears its fruit. I'm taking it to the Gentiles. Wow. All right. So now we've got Paul coming along. And when he gets born again, he tries to go back to the Jews. And God said, no. You take this gospel to the Gentiles. We came into a blood covenant, faith in Jesus, and the Jewish nation has still never accepted that. I like, say about wow backwards, somebody. Y'all are good. All right. <laughs> okay, and we're going to go back to Romans now. How are we doing for time? Oh, I've got 11 minutes. <laughs> I've got so much to do right here. Romans 10, 11, 11. Romans 11, 11. Please put 11, 11. Okay, now, now let's look at this. Paul is now writing the book of Romans, and he's trying to explain the, the Romans are Gentiles. And the Jews are asking Paul, how is it? That you're preaching a gospel that a Gentile, a total heathen who doesn't keep Sabbath, doesn't, he eats pork chops. And all he's got to do is believe Jesus died on the cross and rose to the dead and he's righteous and I'm Jewish and I'm not. And they were offended at it. Now. Understand what Paul is dealing with because he has got the job of turning the Gentile nation and making sure they understand you don't have to, you don't have to come back under the law to be saved. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and that was massive in his day. So that's where, the, that's where all the books we're reading came from. And, they, and say they have stumbled that they should fall, certainly not, but though they fall to provide them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In other words, the, the God used us to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Now, before you get angry at me again, you're not a better people than the Arabs. But you have ticked them off because God is blessing you because of Jesus, not because you're so hot. That's why they hate us. They call us the great Satan. We have more strip joints and sin in this nation than they do. And God ignores them and blesses us. Don't you start thinking you're all that. It's because of Jesus. I mean, you ought to come to church with just, I just came to worship Jesus. You need to thank God every day because you're going to heaven because of Jesus and not because you're anything. 
See, sometimes we need to preach a sermon on what you ain't instead of who you are. Jesus said, without me, you ain't doing nothing. And that's true. That keeps you humble. And if you don't want to stay humble, T.L. said, God's got a hundred ways to humble you. I told T.L., I said, I disagree. I think he's got about a thousand ways. I found a few of them out. All right, now, Romans 9.30. And then we're going to change, and, and we've got to go do something. Only got eight minutes left. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained the righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, the Jews, pursuing the law of righteousness, have not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they didn't do it by faith. Do you understand that? I, I could, boy, I could go another hour. Okay, go to Isaiah 53. Ah! <laughs> there is just not enough time in this church. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty Jesus made me free at last. All right. Now I'm going to do something now, and I'm going to hair lip the charismatic ministry real bad. I'm going to plow it sideways for just a few minutes. And I'm going to show you why people aren't getting their prayers answered. Isaiah 53. We're going to talk about Jesus again. Who believed, verse 1, who believed our report, whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, would grow up before as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. He had no form of comeliness. You see him, there's, he wasn't handsome. Oh, my God, he's so handsome. He, he needs to be in a magazine. That's not true. And we would desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That means in high school, nobody liked him. Acquainted with grief, we hid as were our faces. He was despised, esteemed, and not surely. He bore griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed and stricken, smitten to God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. For our transgressions. Let's go back now. What was he wounded for? Sin. Say sin. sin. All right. Now we're going to read it. But he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we're healed. Now let me, let me tell you what this just says. He went to the cross and took your sin. And since sin has been paid, the bruises. Now, now, now hold on a minute. There's nothing in the Bible about a cat of nine tails. You know what that is? It's just preachers wanting to sell tapes. We got, our, we got our eyes off of what Jesus did, and now we're believing a bunch of cat of nine tails and 21 stripes and 21 diseases, and that just doesn't amount to a hill of beans. That, don't, that won't help you with healing at all. But it sure sold tapes. So what healed you? Your sin is paid. All right, all right, I'm going to show you now. Just watch, watch. He was wounded for our sin and bruised for our iniquity, and by those bruises we are healed. Yeah. All right, now, 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 now. In verse 6, like sheep we've gone astray, turned everyone's own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and made him sick. And verse 11, and we'll see, he'll see the he'll see, he'll, he'll see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By my knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Now, go to 54.14, and let's read it. Let's go, because this is going to, I did all this tonight just to read this one verse. I just wanted you to read one verse. In righteousness, you'll be what? All right, now listen, 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 listen. If you, 
If you're not established in this, you're going to deal with condemnation, guilt, and shame all of your life. And you're going to try to get your prayers answered by being better and not good enough. And help me, Jesus. And I tithe. And I go to church. And I'll do better. And shut up. You're not giving glory to God. You're, you're taking all the glory to yourself. It, the, church, the church is not ever going to see the power of God until we're rooted in righteousness. And you don't get rooted because you hear me preach it once and go home and go, wasn't that great? All right, we got time. Go to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to prove something to you. <laughs> this is what we believe. Someone says, what do you all believe? Well, we believe our pastor is crazy. This is what we believe. He's... Now, 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 righteousness is not easy to grasp. It, your mind goes, oh, God, you don't know me. You're always, your flesh is always going, yeah, you sorry, good nothing, lazy, worthless dog. You ain't never going to, you ain't God, I don't care anything about you. For you and I to place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, how does that, what does it look like? What, how would you recognize a man whose faith is in the blood? The same way you recognized Abraham. Because his faith, because he counted all joy. He, it call, it, it'll cause you to become a worshiper of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're not, you're not worshiping in order to get something. You already are. But you're not rooted in it. All right, all right, all right, all right. Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Apopconians, <laughs> central Floridians, and basic Floridians everywhere. Who bewitched you that you would not obey the truth whose eyes Jesus was clearly crucified? I, I, I want to ask you a question. Did you receive the Spirit? This is the new birth, not the baptism, the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. By the works of the law or the hearing of faith. How did you get saved? Faith. Say faith in Jesus. Faith. Come on, say it. Are you so foolish, having begun the Spirit, and now you're made perfect by your flesh? Have you, have you suffered so many things in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and does miracles, is he doing it because you're so almighty good, or is it still because of Jesus? Woo! <laughs> 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 oh, glory to God! <laughs> so what does faith look like? Joy. Your faith is not in you. The, it, it, see, it's finished. You're, you're, not do, you're, not, you're not doing anything. You just come in there going, hey, devil. Oh, Jesus did it. <laughs> I'm the heel. And shut up. You're not trying to make something happen. It's yours. I'm believing for a healing. Well, stop it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are y'all getting this? But I'm done. I'm out of time. I'm not out of sermon, but I'm out of time. This is, the, oh. we should have been spending a lot more time on righteousness and getting established in it. Now, and nowhere in your Bible does you being righteous by faith create a lawless person. So all of the goofy preachers that are running around going, God, don't, there's no judgment. It doesn't matter how you live. It, it does. Because you're going to reap what you sow, you dumb thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm telling you, Jojo, don't do it. 
Did y'all get this? Now, do you understand how powerful it is for you to look at the devil when he comes to accuse you and you say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Now, what is communion? It is in order to slap Satan upside his ugly face. You haven't been doing right and you go, I'm going to church and take communion. (laughs) And you go, God, it started with the blood. And I'm in here and reminding you of the blood. And I'm getting up from this table righteous. And healed and blessed. (laughs) And if that's not good enough, take it every day. By the way, this is what we believe. Isn't this good? Woo. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You walk into your old denominational church and look around and say, I'm righteous. They'll, they'll, hit, you in, they'll hit you with a two-by-four. Because they've been rooted in condemnation. The preachers think that if they beat you enough, they'll get you to straighten up. You worthless, sorry, good for nothing. Get in the altar, you sorry dog. You old sinner, you. Get up. My God, you unrighteous thing. And you, I am, oh, I am. And boy, you wouldn't dare not pay your tithes and stay in that church. Are y'all out there? I'm being honest, and this is hard to, and they're scared to death to preach this because how would they live? You're going to live more for God knowing you're righteous than you. And I'm going to close with this, and I'm, I'm, I got, I'm, I'm two minutes over. The hardest time of my life has been the times that Satan has brought up my wrongs, and I started trying to work them. And I got into depression because I couldn't fix it. And God kept bringing me back to, son, I never did anything for you because of you anyway. It is the biggest trap. And we should do our best to live right. But the bottom line, it's all Jesus. Isn't this good? You can go to bed tonight and go, thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you did. So now all your fights are from victory. Does that make sense? I'm the healed. That's faith. Don't get off of it. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to share the word of God. I've had a good time tonight. I I pray that, and and it's been a good hour with your church, but we, every one of us really, really, really need to spend time with this. We, we've got we've to read this more often and study this and get rooted and established because we're fighting a foe who's doing everything in his power to discredit us, bring condemnation, guilt, and shame on us. And thank you, the blood of Jesus did it. And that's where our freedom is. That's where our faith is. I pray everybody in this room, sound of my voice, would walk in victory all the days of their life. And if they forget it, bring them back to this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. 
you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.